One of our gym pals, and there's a couple of our neighbors that, that go to church here that live, that are in this service today, and there's a few of us that meet at the gym a couple times a week, and one of our neighbors was in the gym, and he walks, he walks in the door, and I'm at the machine, and he looks at me, and he says three words, three words, New Year's resolution. <laughs> a lot of people go back to the gym, isn't that true? A lot of people go back to the gym first of the year. It's good. I, I, listen, I, it's great. It's yeah, when the guy told me that, he just kind of had a wink-wink, and he's a bike rider, and he likes to work out, and, and that's great. But I, I got to tell you today, there's nothing wrong with starting the beginning of a new year with doing new. Everyone say new. Because what I believe, and what I believe the word for this house is for 2019, is that God wants to do greater. Everyone say greater. And it all starts with prayer. It all starts with prayer. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. And our theme for the year, our theme for this year is the idea, the concept of greater. God wants to do greater. He's a greater God. He's a greater God than all the other gods, and he wants to do greater in each of our lives. First John chapter 4, beginning with verse number 4. And actually, we're just going to read verse number 4, but will you stand with me in the honor of reading God's word? You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. No, we're going to break this down. Not today. We're going to break this down over the next couple of weeks. And what is John talking about? But you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. There are spiritual forces in opposition that are designed by the enemy to destroy your life. Because, this is what he says here. Because he who is in you, if you're a Christ follower today, you got to know who is in you. Because he who is in you is greater. Everyone say greater. Than he that is in the world. He that is in you is greater. Everyone say greater. Than he that is in the world. This morning I'm going to speak to you on this idea. A greater lifestyle. A greater lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today. For what you've already done in our midst, all the people that were prayed for, all those spiritual deeds that people brought to you, we thank you for the power of agreement. We thank you that we can pray together. You said, Lord, pray for one another in faith and believe and we'll be healed. And we're just believing that you are doing things in our hearts and lives. And God, I pray right now for every person in this room. God, give them a greater capacity to believe, a greater capacity to hear not my words, but to hear your words. Let your words truly be graced by the power of your spirit today to bring not just information, not just inspiration, but transformation to our human lives. We love you, Jesus. Bless your people today. And you're wonderful, and you're awesome, and you're mighty name. And all of God's people said, amen. You know, life I've discovered is full of blessings and battles. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes, you know, we kind of look at our life, well, that was a season. That was a really tough season. That was a difficult season. A lot of battles in that season. And we tend to forget that there were actually, what in the battle, there were actually blessings taking place. I mean, sometimes we see it like it's a blessing season or a battle season. But what I've actually found is that most of our life, they're like parallel journeys. We have good things happen in our life, and we have not so good things happen in our life. We have blessings taking place. We can have one area of our life that's going really well, and we can have another area of our life that maybe is not going so well. Maybe one season of our life, our finances are doing good, really good, but our relationship, our marriage relationship isn't doing so good. 
or maybe in one season, like a couple of years ago, our life was doing really well. Our boys were thriving. They're both in school. They're crushing it. Life is good. Church is doing well. Staff is great. We've got great unity, great favor. We're loving God, loving people. We go to the doctor. My wife gets the second diagnosis of her life that she's got cancer. Everyone say bomber. Come on, it's a bomber. No one wants to hear the doctor say, oh, you got cancer. Stage four, you know, massive tumorous cancer in your body. No one wants to hear that. Same time we had blessings going on, we had a battle in our life. And life is like that. Life is full of blessings and battles. We have problems. Uh, Here's the deal. Every single one of us have been promised by God an abundant life. It's the promise of Jesus. I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. But the same God that said we're going to have an abundant life said, in this life, let me promise you something, in this life, you will have trouble. <laughs> right? They run congruent and are like, why? Why does, here's the deal. Because you've got to understand it's two different sides of the same coin. You have to have it. You have to have trials, you have to have testings, you have to have troubles, you have to have problems. Because what they do is they teach us in our life to become totally dependent upon our Savior. And so we start in the beginning, we have a problem, we have a problem, it's sin, we're far from God, he saves us, and then he wants us to become more like Christ. From the, gar- from the Garden of Eve to the Garden of Gethsemane, till Jesus comes back galloping on a white horse, declaring victory as King of kings and Lord of lords, in this life we will have blessings and we will have battles. Someone said amen. So there's a story. You have your Bibles, turn on your phone, or however you read the scriptures today. Maybe you're old school. Some people still old school. About 30% still bring the paper Bible to church. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 17. I want you to look at beginning with verse number 15. There's a guy in the Bible who had a problem. Now, here's the deal. Most of life's, most of life's when we're desiring for greater, you know, we're desiring uh, greater physical. That's what, but, you know, we go to the gym, we do our diets, whatever we're doing. Try to take, I, I talked to some guy coming in today. He told me that he's lost like 35 or 37 pounds over the last six months, and he's gone from, you know, he, he's working out five days a week. And you could tell he's looking really good. He's looking really healthy. Why? Because he wants a greater physical life. You know what happened? He went to the doctor, got a report. Hey, if you don't change this, you're going to have some problems down the road. So he decided that he wanted a greater want to have a greater life in his physical world, and so he's going to take care of himself. And whether it's financial, we want to have a greater financial life. We want to have a greater marriage, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, these are all great things. The same things that have the potential for blessing also have the potential for battles or for problems. This guy comes to Jesus, and he's got a big problem in his life. He has a son. He has a son who has an epileptic condition that can't be cured, or at least it hasn't been cured. And begin with Matthew chapter seven, uh, 17, beginning with verse number 15. The Bible says this guy hears about Jesus. I don't know how he hears, I don't know how he hears about him, but, but what I do know, the area that Jesus ministered in really was a fairly small area. Around the Sea of Galilee, about 80 to 90% of miracles that Jesus performed took place. And somewhere around this area, this guy hears that Jesus is in a certain area, so he goes to him. Now here's the deal. He's already gone to Jesus' disciples, but he couldn't find a cure. But, in Matt, but, but, but he hears that Jesus is in the area, so he comes to Jesus. He's looking for a solution to a problem. And he says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. They couldn't cure him. I, I mean, have you ever had a problem that you couldn't cure? Come on, that you couldn't fix. 
I'm sure that this guy, he's a good dad. He loves his son. I'm sure he did everything known to technology and, and the modern science of his day to get that kid cured. He went to every priest, every rabbi, every doctor. He went to every, you know, every person he could think of to find a cure for his son, but he found no cure. He brings him to Jesus' disciples. He brings him to Jesus' disciples, and they couldn't cure him. This man has an unmet need in his life. An unmet need. Now, before you get too hard on the disciples here, listen, Jesus commissioned these guys. This, this is just a fascinating understanding of who Jesus is and his authority and power and what he's equipped us to do. But here's the deal. Jesus has told his disciples, hey, you guys go out. You see me do it, and I want you to do it. You know, before John Maxwell came, there was a guy named Jesus, and he was the greatest leader of all. He says, listen, I'm going to go do it, and then you watch me do it. You, you, you watch me do it, and then, and then I'll watch you do it, and then you go and do it. And so Jesus has walked through this pattern of leadership, and he's released his disciples, the disciples couldn't cure him. He has an unmet need. But why don't you look at the next verse? And the Bible says, and here's Jesus, here's Jesus' response to the disciples not being able to bring a cure to this man. Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it, ca- and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Everyone say unbelievable. There was an unbelievable miracle that took place. But Jesus answers this question. Jesus, or Jesus responds to this man's uh, uh, lack of finding a cure through his disciples, and he has some really sharp words. Some very sharp words. He says, how long will you faithful, and how long shall I be with you, faithless and perverse generation? They lacked faith. I want you to hear this. The man didn't lack faith. It wasn't the unbelief of the man. I mean, the man went to these disciples to find a cure. It wasn't the man's unbelief. It was the people that were ministering that had unbelief. Oof. Ow. I, I received a letter at the end of last year from, I don't even know who it was. They actually signed their name, so I'm grateful for that. And they had a little blurb on there. It's a passage in Acts, and it said, you know, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. The person said, we have a lot of gold, but where is the, <laughs> where is, where is the rest of it? Where, where, is, where is the Jesus? Where is the Jesus? Where is the miraculous supernatural at work in our lives? And Jesus is challenging. This is a stinging rebuke of the master to people who are supposed to be Christ followers that we have a solution. Jesus is the answer, but he's the answer to what? And are you walking the answer? And are we living the answer? So this is a challenge. This is a challenge. And so this need was unmet. And he brings this man to Jesus. And what I want you to see today is that Jesus still meets needs. He's the God who makes the impossible possible. He simply speaks the word. Jesus simply spoke the word, and this man was healed. Now, in our season of life today, I want you to, in in the season and what we're about to go into as a church family, I want you to see the next verses, verses 20 and 21. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they asked, why couldn't we cast him out? Why don't we have any authority? I mean, we've done this miracle, and we've seen you do this in our lives, and God, we've seen you do this over here, but why couldn't we cast out this problem? 
And look what Jesus says here. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith, everyone say faith. Faith is simply a firm conviction in God. And it doesn't take a lot of faith. If you have faith as a mustard seed, it's just a simple belief. It's not, a, it's not a work it up and run around faith, though. It's a simple faith and confidence in God, knowing who God is in your life. You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible. Everyone read that with me. Nothing will be impossible. However, this kind, this kind of problem doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. There was a lack, there was a need that was unmet, and there was something very specific that Jesus was saying that needed to take place in order for them or for that child to experience freedom, to experience God's blessing. As a Christ follower today, there are some things in our life that need to be discipled out. We're pushing small groups. We got this financial piece. Here's the thing. You can go to financial piece. It's a Dave Ramsey course that teaches you how to manage money. You can go to course, but until you start living that course, financial, you're never going to find financial peace. You can't just have to have the information. The information has to get into your heart, inspire you to walk out transformation, change life. There are some things in your life you need the right information. But there are other things in your life that need to be cast out. <laughs> yeah, and, and here's the wisdom of the believer to know the difference. There are some things that we must be discipled in. We must get the right information. And by the Holy Spirit's power, we start to walk that out. But there are some problems that are so great and, some, and so big that they will only be overcome by prayer and by fasting. So why couldn't we do it, Jesus? Why couldn't we do it? So Jesus has God's plan for our success. Everyone say God's plan. Not Drake's plan. <laughs> Come on now. Something like Drake who? Not Drake. Not Drake's plan, but God's plan for our success. We found these two things, prayer and fasting. First, I want to talk about fasting just for a moment. I want to talk about fasting. Now, before we talk about these spiritual principles, these spiritual disciplines, and they are spiritual disciplines, and they're not easy, and there's something that require our, us to say no to some things and say yes to other things. Before we do the first thing that we must do is we must believe. We must believe that God hears and answers prayer. It's the very first step. It's just simple. I just simply believe. Years ago, uh, my grandmother uh, was kind of one of these mystics. She wasn't really a person of faith. She kind of believed some great spirit out there. One day we were talking and God just gave me this thought. You know, I was talking to her about the Lord and I said, when we, you know, she was talking about she prays to some great spirit and I said, but grandma, when I pray, I don't pray to whom it may concern. <laughs> and a lot of people to pray to whom it may, you know, hey, you know, they call the rabbi in, they call the priest in, they call the shaman in, they go to this witch doctor, they go, all these, you know, they listen to this person and that person. No, no, no. There is a God. Pastor Glenn already said, there is a God in heaven. He has revealed himself to us through his son, and his son has a name, and his name is Jesus. Come on, give God a great big hand this morning. We must believe. Jesus said, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, these verses right here, you can write these down. Mark 11, 22, 23, 24. Have faith in God, and you will say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and not doubt in your heart, but believe those things that you say will come to pass. Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours, the NLT says. Believe it. So there's a simple belief. It's not complicated, not hard. Now, we all fail in this area. We all short, 
we're all short in our faith at times. That's why we need greater faith. That's why we're believing for 2019 to have greater faith in God. The second thing is we must deal with unforgiveness. We must forgive people who've offended us. So before we enter into this season of prayer and fasting and believing God for greater and for unmet needs to be met, this issue must be dealt with. And some of us are carrying unforgiveness. And the way that you know you have unforgiveness is that you are walking down the grocery store and you're pushing your cart and you see that person on the other side of the grocery store and you decide, you know what, I'm just going to go the other direction. There's something, you have something with that person. It's not clear. You have someone in your life, when you start to talk to them, it's just, it's not clear. You try to talk, but there's just something there. It's like, there's like this block and it's awkward. Come on, anyone beside me, right? All right, so there's something in our lives and we have to release that person. And that person could have done something really bad to us. What we do is we release that person's ability to hold us prisoners and captives to bitterness, anger, and frustration. We release that. We just give that to God. We understand this. We understand that God is our defender. God is our defender. I was talking to someone yesterday. They had someone say something really horrible. I couldn't even believe what this person said to him. And I said, how do you deal with that? And, and this person told me, she, she said, I had to look up every verse in the Bible on God being my avenger. Vengeance is mine, say the Lord. Know that God is your great adventure. God will defend you. Now, if something, somebody did something illegal or immoral, there's consequences. There's justice in this life, potentially. But there's a lot of people in this life, they seem to get by with a lot of things. And what you, as believer, if the, God doesn't allow them to be brought to justice in this life, know this, that there is justice in the next life. So we release people. We release unforgiveness. So let's talk about fasting. Let's talk about this issue of fasting in our life. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and, and uh, he's teaching. He's teaching. As a matter of fact, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the, great, it's one of the, one of the greatest messages that have Jesus ever communicated, ever recorded in all of history. A couple of months ago when we were in Israel, we got to go to the place where Jesus delivered this message on the hillside and taught thousands of people about his kingdom. And, and then he talks about this area of fasting. I want you to see this in verse number 16 of Matthew chapter 6. When you fast, first of all, I want you to see this. There is an expectation that Jesus has for his followers that they'll fast. Now, fasting is, let me tell you, fasting is not easy. Uh, and starting tomorrow, uh, we're going on, as a church family, I'm challenging everyone to do the Daniel fast. And the Daniel fast is simply this. We do no meats, no sweets, and no caffeine for seven days. So we're actually giving you a break. Last year, it was 21 days. But uh, this year, we're doing seven. But we're adding the prayer time. So we're doing prayer every night, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, next Sunday. So we're adding the prayer times. We're just kind of focusing our concentration on prayer. But here's the deal. It's not a diet. We're not going on a diet. But the first two days of my fast, I feel like I'm dying. <laughs> like, no caffeine. This morning, my wife and I, before we walked out the door, we'd almost, between the two of us, I, I'm ashamed to say this, but we looked at the pot. We almost drank a whole pot ourselves. <laughs> I was so wired up here, you know. I got a whole, I got a whole pot of coffee in me this morning. Let's go, come on, let's go. <laughs> Tomorrow, no caffeine. Oh, <laughs> I ain't going on a diet, but I'm going to feel like I'm dying. Right? So first couple days, because we're getting all the toxins. And you do no, you think no sugars. And your diet's full of 
nasty, bad, all of ours. So we're going to do that. But it's not a diet. So Jesus said, when you fast, don't look somber like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, they show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they receive the reward in full. First thing, our fast must be sincere. We're fasting for a purpose. And our purpose is spiritual alignment with God. We're aligning ourselves spiritually so that we can hear God better. We can draw. The Bible says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. See, when you draw near to God, it's far easier to resist the temptations of the devil that you've been struggling with for the last week, last month, last year, last five years, last ten years. Some of you in your life, you've been going through some issues. You've been going through some problems for a long time. They just seem to want to hang on. But I'm declaring to you today, 2019 is a year of greater. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And when you commit yourself to the intense, an intense time of fret, prayer and fasting and you're sincerely doing it before God, you're spiritually aligning yourself. You're putting yourself in the right position. 90% of your success in any area or any field of endeavor, endeavor is being in the right position. Some of you want to start a new business, but you got so much debt, you're like, there's no way I could do that. You know what? You're not in position yet. So you need to work with everything you have and believe and God's going to help you to spend less and to pay down your debt so that you can position yourself for greater success in your finances. I mean, it's, you just take it across the board. Relationships, finances, health. It's all about being in the right position. So we do it sincerely. The second thing, when we're doing this, we're praying and we're seeking God spirit, uh, sincerely, we understand that there is a real life spiritual dynamic taking place. There's a real, pray to your father who is in heaven. You can't see him. I mean, the people that you work with might not understand what you're doing. They might not understand. What do you mean, you guys, your church is fasting? That's kind of weird you're not doing, you know? No, listen, people have to do, I mean, Hollywood crowd, they do all kinds of weird fasts. Isn't that true? Come on, you read about it, cleansing and enemas and all kinds of strange things, man. Like, whoa, yeah, too much information there. But what we're doing is we're, we're doing what, from Moses to Abraham, I mean, all the way through Scripture, through Jesus himself, who fasted for 40 days. What men and women of God have always done, they've always spiritually positioned themselves through fasting. Through fasting. There's, some, there's a spiritual alignment. It does something. It humbles us. The moment you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. Do you understand that? The moment you say no to this over here, you're saying yes to this over here. You're, you're, you're humbling. You're saying, God, I need you. And, you, and you, I'll tell you, you actually do this. You really do this in your life. You're going to feel some humility. You're just going to feel more of a brokenness in your life, more of a spiritual sensitivity. Uh, things that maybe before didn't really bother you, but you'll hear it on TV or music or maybe, you know, just kind of, you'll be more spiritually, you know, I really probably shouldn't have that in my podcast. I probably shouldn't be listening to that or watching that or just, you'll be, you'll be spiritually more sensitive. And then strategic. The, 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 what the, this fast is a strategic fast. And you can, I mean, you just start, you go through all the fasting in your little prayer book, the, uh, the seven-day prayer book that we hand out, and they've got all these different kinds of fasts, and you will find that there were very strategic fasts that people of old did for a specific spiritual result. 
Very specific, very specific. Daniel actually, the fast that we're doing is based on a fast that Daniel did. He fasted for 21 days because he needed an answer from heaven. And the Bible says the whole time that he was fasting, and he was literally just, it was an absolute fast. It was, it was just water only, and there was no food involved. During this time, there was actually a spiritual battle taking place in the heavenly realms. Paul the apostle said to the church at Corinth, the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty through God, through the pulling down of strongholds. So we're in a spiritual battle, and spiritual battles require a strategic plan, a strategic plan. So we're walking through this spiritual battle. We're understanding that we're fasting. We're seeking the Lord. We're positioning ourselves. We're not arm twisting. We're not, we're not manipulating, but we're trusting God. We're like Paul the Apostle. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. We want to know Jesus better. We want to know his ways better. We want to have greater faith and greater love and greater hope and greater peace and greater faith as we go into a new year. Jesus teaches us how to pray. So he, he, he challenges his disciples to fast. When you, pray, when you fast, be sincere, be spiritual, be strategic. And then he says, but this kind come out not but by prayer and fasting. So we talked about fasting. Now I want to talk about prayer. When we think of Jesus' life, we think of him as being a man of prayer. I mean, we see him often getting away and spending time with the Father. He was a man. His ministry was empowered. The reason that he had great success is because he was connected to his heavenly father. I mean, here's the deal. Prayer is not complicated. Prayer is simply a conversation with God. Now, my family, they got me the new upgrade on the Fitbit because I like to walk. Everyone say walk. I'm a walker. I like to walk. I do a little gym stuff, but I really, really like to walk. And I have a goal. My goal is 12,000 steps a day. Some days I do it. Some days, some days I go way over. Some days I go under. But that's a goal. I got a good goal. It's about five miles. So I try to walk at least five miles every day. But here's the thing. When I walk, I do at least two things. I walk. Sometimes I listen to podcasts or YouTubes or different things. But generally when I walk, I talk. You know who I talk to? I talk to God. And some of my most, I mean, this week, as a matter of fact, yesterday I was walking around our complex and walking around the lake, and, and uh, I got real bare wire with God. I was having some real bare wire talks with God. I would just, and let me tell you, he, he's not offended by your conversation with him. He's not surprised by your conversation with him. He already knows. Jesus said, the Father already knows what you have need of before you ask. But just ask. Ask him when he, anyways. Talk to him anyways. And so I talked to him. I talked to the Lord. A conversation. A conversation with God. It's a conversation. And most of us have windows of time that we're in our car by ourselves. We're on our way to work. What a great time to talk to God. What a great time to talk to the Lord. There's personal prayer, but there's also corporate prayer. Now, Jesus, Jesus, obviously, Jesus was connected to the Father, and he prayed a lot. And when his disciples saw him, they knew that he prayed differently. Because, I mean, all, every faith group, you can go around the world. I mean, every faith group in the world has prayer. They pray some way. Last night, we were watching a food program, and they were over in India, and they were showing these people. They were bringing their food to the temple, and they were offering up idols. And then they would go downstairs, and, and the food that had been offered, they would turn it into food and serve people. And, but they would show how they prayed. We're watching the show on television, this, this like personal fix-it show. This lady goes in and cleans up people's house. 
her name is Marie Kondo. She's a little Japanese girl. And, and every home she comes into, she's a Buddhist. And so every home she goes into, she kneels down and she prays. She kind of like feels the energy of the house, something like that, you know. So every faith group has prayer. But, but there's one group of people that when they pray, when they pray, there's a God in heaven who answers the prayers. Come on, there's a God in heaven who answers the prayers. And these disciples, man, the rabbis prayed and the spiritual people prayed, but when they saw, when Jesus prayed, things happened. Come on, when Jesus prayed, miracles happened. When Jesus prayed, where there was no way, there became a way. Why? Because he's a way maker and he's a miracle worker. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never changed. And so his disciples come to him. Some have called this the Lord's Prayer. It's actually the disciples' prayer. And they say to Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray. So how many of you want to learn how to pray like Jesus taught his disciples? Anybody want to learn? All right, so just, just hang on here. Just hang on here with me. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Now, he does it in Luke, but we're going to use Matthew chapter 6. We're going to walk through these verses really quick here. But the first thing that I want you to do, Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father in heaven. Our Father, we're acknowledging, we're connecting with the God of the universe. We're connecting relationship, relationally with our Heavenly Father. Paul told the church at, in Rome, he said, we are, we are spiritual children of God. We have been adopted by him. We can now call him Abba Father. Abba Father. That's personal. That's close. That's very intimate. That's a very intimate, you have a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with the Heavenly Father who cares about every single need and concern of your life. You say, hey, Dad, I mean, we're doing this in reverence. This is not a flippant kind of relationship with God. This isn't just to the man upstairs, to the big guy upstairs. No, 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 no. This is the Heavenly Father, our, heaven, our Father who is in heaven. We connect with him relationally. The second thing that we do is we worship his name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. His name is holy. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament Jews, uh, they would never, ever say the name God. They would never say, oh, my God, o OMG. They would never say OMG. They just wouldn't do it. As a matter of fact, OMG, if someone heard you say it, they could actually stone you for it because they considered it to be blasphemous. They considered the name of God to be so holy and so reverent that when you used it in an improper way, it was blasphemous. It was very serious. It's one of the big ten. Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. And so Jesus says, listen, when you come before, you worship his holy name. So the Old Testament, they would, they would give the, the characteristics of God, they would give him names. Things like this. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who supplies and meets all of my needs. He's Jehovah Rapha, the God who moves in my life where there is no cure, and he brings a cure. And his name is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals all of my diseases. He's the God when there's a battle, and I don't know how to find victory. He's the God that I can wave the victor's banner. He's Jehovah Nisi, who fights all my battles and goes before me. Come on. He's Jehovah Shema. He's Jehovah Shema. When I'm walking through the dark places, going through the valleys of the shadow of death, he is Jehovah Shema, the God who is always with me. He's Jehovah Roy. Shh. I'm going astray. 
My heart is turning from God. I'm finding myself with the wrong people and the wrong places and the wrong playthings in my life again. He's the great shepherd. He's Jehovah Roy. He's the great shepherd. He knows exactly what it's going to take to go out to bring you back in. We worship him. We worship him. We worship him. We worship. Come on. We worship him. We worship him. We worship his name. Holy is your name. And have to, I, you know, I, I pray, I actually pray this pattern. And I find that when I pray this pattern, usually by the time I get through his names, I can't, they're, like it's already an hour's up. I just worship him, thanking him for his name, all of his benefits. But then he, Jesus says, pray his agenda. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you hear that? Come on, did you really hear that? We can pray for his kingdom. The kingdom of God where there's righteousness, joy, and peace. Did you hear that? Right When we're in right standing with God, there's joy in our life. Not based on circumstance, not based on winning the lottery, not in on any emotional experience, but there's an eternal joy. And there's a peace of God that passes on us, knowing that God's got my back. We pray his agenda. We pray his kingdom come. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In my family, in my kids, I'm praying over my boys. My, I found that as my boys have gotten older, I need to increase my prayer for my boys. And they got big, their decisions now have even greater consequences. And it's more tricky. A, a dad of a 23-year-old and 20, I mean, not there four and five, I just line them up. Boom, bada, boom, bada, bing. Right? And we ain't doing that, doing what, you know. 23, 20, they're doing their life. They're living. They're making their own way. But God, I pray for my kids. Listen, if you don't pray for your children, no one else is going to do it. I mean, someone else might. You might, be, you might be blessed and have some close friends, but pray for your kids. Pray for your kids who are far from God. Come on, believe. That's your priority as a believer, to believe God. He's going to save your kids. He's going to bring your kids back. Pray for your relationships, people, your marriage, your families. We pray his kingdom come, his will be done in every dimension of our life. Then, (laughs) come on, put the next verse up for me. So God, give us this day our daily bread. We depend on him for everything. In America, when we have, we have so much. Can I tell you a real quick secret here? If you go to Cracker Barrel and get the lunch special of meatloaf, you get two sides and cornbread for $5.99. Just want to throw that out there. This, that was free. Everybody could run over to I'm not trying to promote. I'm just saying. I went to Cracker Barrel at $5.99. I went there, and they let me order lunch for dinner. That was amazing. I don't have any food needs. I mean, honestly, and this is the problem for a lot of Americans. I mean, we really... You go to other places in the world, and there is great need. We are blessed beyond belief. And so when we pray and we ask him for provision for our daily life, what we're doing is saying, God, you're my source. You're my provider. You supply and meet all of my needs according to your riches and glory. Then he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We get our heart right with God with other people. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We're walking in right, we're praying for right relationships. As much as it is impossible, as much as it is possible with you, be at peace with all people, Paul says. So we're always working on, we're always forgiving, we're always we're for- releasing people, forgiving people. They said it, they didn't do it right, they made mistakes, they sinned against you, they wronged you, we're always releasing, that's what believers do. That's, that's a hallmark of a Christian. I mean, it's the difference between a Christian and other religions. Other religions want to cut your head off if you offend them. Just saying. And we're releasing forgiveness towards people that offend us. We're not people. The sword, come on, 
the sword of the Lord, but we're we're the people of the book. And this book says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the next one, come on. We engage in spiritual battle. We recognize this is what we're going to do this week. We're engaging in spiritual battle. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're in a spiritual battle. Spiritual battles require spiritual weapons. Full armor of God, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. I actually dress myself this way. I'll open Ephesians 6 and I'll put on the full armor of God. The helmet of salvation. Come on, the helmet. Get my mind right. Get my mind right. Get my mind right. Get my mind right. Get thinking right about God. Put on that breastplate of righteousness and that shield of faith which quenches every fiery dart of the evil one. You are in a spiritual battle. Satan hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates your kids. He hates God's plan for your life. He set out to kill you, to destroy you. If he can get you addicted, he can get you broken, he can get you busted, he can get you turning away from God, you won't fulfill the destiny that God has marked out for you. But let me tell you today, there is a God who is greater. There is a God who is greater in your life today. And I believe that he that has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You are in a spiritual battle. <laughs> and then finally, come on, come on, the last one. But the last, we express our faith in God's ability, His greatness. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.